are in a sermon series called uh, Pressure Points, and uh, we are in the third installment uh, of Pressure Points. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a phrase that has, has become sort of the key phrase as we're moving through this idea of how do we deal with pressures in life. And the phrase is this, pressure doesn't define you, it refines you, and how you respond to that pressure is really what matters, is very, very key. Just with anything in life, how you respond is really uh, uh, what matters. Are you going to let the pressure crush you, or are you going to lean into your faith in God and trust in His strength as that pressure is happening in your life? Um, so to begin the message, I have a question for you, and I, I pray that it doesn't stir up uh, any hurt feelings um, from your past. <laughs> Raise your hand if you grew up with one or more siblings. Okay, well, that's very prolific families we have here, I guess. Uh, How many of you would admit that you were your parents' favorite child? (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Bo. All right, now raise your hand if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your brother or sister was your parents' favorite child. Okay, a couple of you, yeah, yeah. If you were not your parents' favorite child, you don't mind letting everybody know about it because you're scarred. There's an injustice in your family that has happened. Uh, And if you were the favorite, you keep quiet about it for one or two reasons. Either you know that it was wrong and you feel guilty about it, or you have a really good thing going. You don't want to mess it up, right? Well, we all have favorites. We have favorite football teams. We have favorite ice cream flavors. We have favorite entertainment activities. Uh, But should we play favorites when it comes to people or even people groups? Is it okay to treat one person or group with more respect than another? You know, even though there are a lot of aspects of how we come up with this idea of favorites, uh, there's one word that describes why playing favorites is just a natural tendency for everybody on the planet. And it's this word right here. It's affinity. Affinity. It's basically a natural liking or sympathy for someone or something. Now, students, those of you who are in school, or even if you're not, if you're an adult, but you can remember back to school, have you ever gone into a classroom at the beginning of the school year, like just a month ago or so, and there are just some people that you naturally like better? There's some people that you just walk in and you go, I'm moving toward that person or that group. You just like them better than you do the others. You're drawn to them. You admire them. Or maybe you feel like you fit in with them. Now, that natural immediate reaction that you have when you meet someone uh, is a science actually called thin slicing. It's this immediate gut reaction based on affinity um, that you make a split decision that you're naturally drawn to people based on factors like Maybe this person reminds you of somebody you liked at your other school. Maybe uh, it's the way they look. All kinds of different things play into it, and it happens in a millisecond of meeting someone or a group. Truth be told, affinity is a beautiful thing. I, I think God has given us this natural gift of affinity because it's a beautiful thing and a comfort, comfort uh, to be connected to people who share the same interests and the same, the same passions and the same goals as you do. That's a good thing. But where this word goes wrong, where affinity goes wrong, is when it, we begin to compare our group or ourselves with another group and find that they're lacking because of differences. 
We elevate ourselves over and above other people. And then again, again, students, if you think about this, maybe you, you're, you're drawn to, the affinity is drawing you to a certain person or a certain people group, and you get pressure from your classmates not to like that girl who's a bit weird or not as pretty, or to stay away from the guy who isn't on the team or for whatever reason you feel is going to damage, the, the, your, your friends feel that they're going to damage your reputation. And what's crazy about this, th- this whole thing about playing favorites and partiality is the word, what's crazy about this is that it happens not only when you're younger, but it happens all the way, not only from school, it happens all the way up to the nursing home. Many of you know that Kelly and I take, take care of a friend of ours who's 88, 89, somewhere in there, and we go and visit her in her nursing home, and she's, you know, in a assisted living thing, and she's in the, the cafeteria, and they're sitting at a table, her and her friends, and we'd sit down, and, hey, Gwen, how's it going? And we start talking about the people, you know, you're meeting new people because it's kind of new, and she goes, well, I sit here because, you know, our table is here. We don't like those other people over there. They start, starts, God, 88 years old, really? He starts gossiping about, the, well, why don't you like them? Well, she has false teeth, you know, <laughs> well, so do you. It's like, what? Unbelievable. So realistically, one way or another, we all know in our gut, in our heart, that playing favorites in a negative way, like, like what I was talking about, that it's just wrong. You know, all over our, all over our church this next week, um, our small groups are talking about this idea of favorite, favoritism, showing partiality, and, and all of that. And the study hits one huge point, if you haven't done the study yet. But the one big point is this. God does not play favorites, and neither should I. God doesn't play favorites, and neither should I. Now we're in the middle of a sermon series that's taken, that, that talks about these pressure points identified in the book of James and then shows how Jesus responded to these pressures. And so far in our series, the first two weeks, it's been pretty easy to, to look at Jesus' example and, and see how he dealt with trials. Or looked at Jesus' example and see, like last week, we talked about temptation. How did Jesus deal with temptation? Well, it was, you know, the devil came and he, he talked through scripture against the devil. So those are pretty easy ones. Today messes me up. Today's going to mess you up when I show you the story about Jesus because it doesn't make sense. It seems on the surface that Jesus is showing partiality against somebody in this conversation that he has. So we're going to start, um, we're going to dive into the word. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Mark 7, starting at verse 24 is where we're going to be. And again, this is one of those stories that you kind of, we read through and go, what's up with that? You know, because even if you're barely familiar with Jesus, on the outside, it looks like Jesus, again, is showing favoritism. So what I'm going to do is a little bit different. I'm going to read just the whole story for us and then make a couple of observations after that. So here's the story, starting in Mark 7, uh, verse 24. Uh, Jesus is teaching in the area. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek a Syrophoenician by birth. Basically, Syrophoenician is like, um, like I'm a Minnesotan or, you know, I'm, from, I'm a Wisconsinite. You know, I'm a Syrophoenician. I'd, be, I'd like to be a Syrophoenician just so I could say that all the time. I'm Syrophoenician. Anyway, so 
uh, woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. I would too. But Jesus said to her, let this land on you a little bit. Listen to this. Let the children be, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to their little dogs. Weird, right? Now, Jesus was in the area, and he would have been with his buddies. They were all, you know, together. And what would have happened at this point, or I imagine this in my weird little brain, twisted brain, is that after he says that, the disciples would have gone, oh, good one, Jesus. That was a, oh, that was, that was a good one. But immediately, the text says, the immediately, she answers Jesus back, and she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. To which everybody would have gone, oh, we got you, you know. Because here, here and this is really bold. This is a woman, and back in that culture, and other parts of the world, even today, a woman does not speak to a man like this, doesn't retort back and forth, doesn't have those kind of conversations. Um, and then, in, again, I, I picture Jesus laughing through this next line. He laughed to her, saying, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. So she did. She came to her house, she found the demon gone, and her daughter lying on the bed. So the question is this. Did, on the outset, did Jesus play favoritism or put down this woman? Um, or is he just communicating something on a higher level that we, 2,000 years later, we just don't get it because of our English? So I'm going to have a couple of um, observations that might help explain what's happening that we don't catch in our culture here. Uh, and uh, so this is more teaching more than um, application. So here's the first observation. In answering this question, did Jesus, in this situation, did Jesus play favorites? First of all, if Jesus was playing favorites, he wouldn't have been in this area in the first place. He wouldn't have been in Tyre in the first place. Because Tyre was a Gentile territory, meaning not Jewish. It's now actually in part of Lebanon, or in the Lebanon area. This wasn't the first time Jesus had actually been there. And after this situation, he actually comes back to this area a couple of times. But most likely, he wasn't there to do ministry. Normally, when we follow Jesus, he goes to a place to do ministry or to get away to rest. He um, Actually, most scholars believe that he was getting away because of the constant persecution he was getting from church people, from the church leaders. You know, he was getting barraged by emails and nasty Facebook posts about him. He's like, I got to get away from all this. And he goes to this area because he knew Jewish people wouldn't have gone into this area because it was Gentile, those nasty Gentiles. So he went to this area. And so this woman coming to him actually didn't, wouldn't have caught Jesus off guard. So that's the first observation. The second one is this. There are dogs, and then there are dogs, there are dogs, and then there are dogs. Let's take a look at this conversation, because um, it looks like Jesus is implying that the woman and her daughter were dogs. Um, but notice Jesus said, said this. Jesus says, first, let the children eat all they want. In this case, the children were the Jews, is what he was talking about. He was making, he was a, there was a metaphor. The children that Jesus is talking about were the Jews. Matthew's account of the same story says the lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus was always aware that God's chosen people, the Jews, 
were his first priority in terms of the mission. Now, let me explain that. God loves and sent Jesus for every single human soul. Everybody. That's the goal. The way Jesus, the way God had planned, the, the way it's planned out and laid out for Jesus in terms of on mission is first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You recognize that phrase from the Bible. Or um, another phrase from John 4, he's talking to the woman at the well, and he says, salvation comes out of the Jewish people. Out of the Jewish line is salvation. So Jesus' first priority was the Jews. So why does salvation come from the Jews? Because that's God's plan. He said, a Savior will come through the Jewish line, making the Jewish people the first tier, if you will, in the mission, in the vision of saving the world. That's who God chose. That's the group that God chose. So when he said, first let the children eat all they want, he was simply reflecting God's creative plan, or God's redemptive plan. Now, second thing about this dog thing. There are two types of dogs in Jesus' day. The first type of dog was the dog that had no household. It was wild dogs running in the streets, eating out of the garbage, knocking over garbage cans, just scraggly, mangy, stay away, shoot them in the street kind of dogs. Sorry. Uh, But that's how they are. And maybe you have some of those in your own neighborhood that just kind of run wild, and they're just, you would never think of bringing them into your household. So those were those dogs. But Jesus uses a different noun form that would have referred not to those kind of dogs, but the dogs that were considered household dogs. Fido, Chloe, Bella, Sophie, my dog Jack, right? Your dog, your pet. That's the dog word that he uses in this text. And she picks up on this. She's she's smart enough to pick up on it. Her reply was, Yes, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. These were the dogs that enjoyed a place in the master's household. And before we get hung up on whether Jesus was insulting this woman, realize that nobody, Jew or Gentile, ever gets to come to Jesus believing that there's anything special about them. That's pride. We are Christ followers because of what God did, not because of what we do. That's grace. That's what grace is. In fact, the, 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 the core of the word grace is undeserved merit, undeserved uh, uh, mercy and compassion. That's what grace is. James 4, 6. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if it takes being reminded that I am less than a dog in light of God's mercy and majesty in order to receive God's grace, I'm okay with that. So clearly this woman was too, and she received from Jesus the healing she was looking for. Third observation is this. God does play favorites, but not in the way you think. God loves everybody. No favorites there. But he has a favor and and a... Uh, a movement, an affinity toward faith, faith in his son, Jesus. Did you know verse 28 that we've been looking at, it's the only time in the Gospel of Mark that anybody calls Jesus Lord. This Gentile woman did something that no chosen Jew at the time or even close followers did in Mark's story. She acknowledges Jesus as Lord. 
That's the kind of faith Jesus recognizes. He's not concerned with your status, not concerned with your background, your skin color, the size of your family, your house, your job, whatever it is. He's interested in your faith, your heart. In Matthew's account of the same story, and, and this is kind of cool, Jesus tells, tells us that this woman, um, Jesus tells the woman she has great faith. And it's important to realize that in all of the Gospels, Jesus only told somebody they have great faith twice. The first time is this woman, woman, you have great faith. The second time was a centurion, another outsider, when the centurion's servant was, was sick. And that's interesting to me. It's interesting. Because Jesus doesn't play favorites whether you're a Christian or non-Christian. He loves you. And he creates faith in you to be brought to him. So maybe, as we kind of wrap this message up, maybe God intended this story to seem offensive to you at first. Maybe you're supposed to be forced to look at, more intently, look at it more intently um, because for you, you know that there's some partiality in you, maybe among your own family members. Maybe there, again, is a people group that you look at and you stay away from that you just don't like. You, you make judgments. You make side comments. Oh, those Democrats. Oh, those Republicans, right? Oh, those Packer fans. Well, that's okay. You could do that. <laughs> I'm a Vikings fan. Oh, those Viking fans. That's, that's on the funny, but you know what I'm talking about. There are people in your life, maybe, again, in your own family, that you're just judging, and you, it, it comes out. And parents, it comes out, and your kids hear it, and they pick up on it. God shows no partiality. This week, I pray that, I pray this at all of our services, that God would bring people into your world that are different from you, that rub you the wrong way, that you would normally stay away from. I'm praying that the Spirit puts somebody in your, in your life to get you some faith muscles a little bit. And for the ultimate reason, that you can be a witness of God's love to them. Let's stand to pray. Father, thank you for gathering our group here in this room. Thank you for those listening on um, the podcast, thank you for our downtown campus as well, our, our family of Christ uh, gathered there. Um, and this idea of partiality uh, and the story, Father, we thank you for that. Um, all of us, if we think hard, of us, hard enough, know the people or the groups that we, we just, for whatever reason, maybe just don't like. Um, and forgive us for that. We know there's forgiveness in that. Um, according to your word, according to your spirit's moving, give us open eyes and, and, and hearts to know that all lives matter to you and therefore they matter to us. Father, help us to remember that. Um, help us to move forward in that. Help us to have the courage to step out of our comfort zone and offer words of encouragement and love um, even if it's telling somebody that, God, you have an incredible purpose for their life. Father, we love you and we praise you for not having favoritism and for offering us forgiveness and salvation in Christ. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.